Welcome to the Penis Project Podcast, connecting men through science, stories, solutions, but most of all, through support. This podcast was founded by myself and Dr. Joe Milios, a physiotherapist. To find out more about us, check out our website, thepenisproject.org. I'm Melissa Hadley-Barrett, sexologist and nurse practitioner specialising in men's intimate health. Join me as I break down the barriers surrounding men's health and have candid conversations about everything you've always wanted to know but were too embarrassed to ask. This podcast is dedicated to stories from men who have bravely recognised the importance of sharing their experiences, breaking down stigmas and having no filter chats about sexual health, cancer treatment and recovery, relationships and everything else in between. If you know someone who you think would benefit from this information, please share so we can help more people. We would also love it if you'd follow the podcast and give us a review. Welcome to the Penis Project podcast. Today we have Reese. Now, Reese is 29 years of age and when he was 17, he had a workplace accident which he's going to tell us about and it has affected his life in a lot of ways and so he's going to tell us all about that. So welcome, Reese. Uh, thank you for having me on, Melissa. That's Pleasure. It's great to have you. So, Reese, tell us what happened to you when you were seventeen. Uh, so I had just left school. I was, as most people do when they're young, they're not one hundred percent sure what they want to do. Um, I ended up getting a job just outside of town. I'm from Mount Barker originally. Well, that's where I graduated. Uh, funnily enough, when I tell people this, they go, "What?" I was mm. a chicken catcher, so actually catching live chickens. That uh, was your job, yeah. catching chickens. Excellent. Okay. <laughs> So uh, not that many people know, but UV light actually dazes chooks. So ah. when they're like getting live birds for slaughter, they'll turn the UV lights on and they're sort of just like little dopey things that don't move around very and much. And then what? You'd run around and catch them? Essentially, yeah. Cool. That sounds fun, actually. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Anyway, so it would have been February. I forget the exact dates, but I'm pretty sure it was end of February. Um, so we'd work at night, obviously. Uh, best time to get the live birds i was pressed up on the shadow side of a semi-trailer we were unloading empty pallets to take the um we were loading pallets off and i was securing the load like a ratchet mm. i was pretty much pinned up against the side of the semi uh by a by a forklift or something like yeah that. yeah so uh, my boss at the time uh, was operating a forklift he fell asleep at the wheel unfortunately for him oh god um, and sort of like sort of like compressed me mid-section uh yeah pretty pretty substantial so was it the forklift that ran into your mid-drift or was it uh, the pallet or what was it so the the counterweight of the forklift so the back end of it mm. compressed me or like crushed me against oh. the side of the um against the side of the semi oh that's awful and so what happened next Ah, a bit of a whirlwind, to be honest. Uh, they were panicking and listening to me that was in adrenaline and ended up eventually driving to the local hospital. You drove yourself there? No, no, no. Oh. They, so could you see any external injuries or you just had internal pain? Uh, internal pain and there was a lot of bruising, mm -hmm. a lot of, lot of bruising and like I couldn't, I was immobile, like I couldn't, couldn't move. I did... I actually managed to step up and get myself into the vehicle, but that would have meant that would be the last step. So I took for about three months. So why didn't they call an ambulance? Panic, I think. Yeah, um, okay. If you're ever doing emergency response or CPR or something like that, it pays attention to 
learn it and follow it correctly could save someone's life. Because <laughs> mm, you're lucky, like having stepped up, you're lucky you didn't have like a serious spinal injury or something that could Nah, have so obviously a lot of things in my favour with I was quite young and fit at the time, so it probably took the compressional force as well as I could have. Um, you know, went to the Mount Barker Hospital, they ran a bunch of tests. Um, they didn't want to give me a... Um, if you draw some sort of pain relief they were worried about it interfering or something just in case I went into a coma or something got transported to Albany mm-hmm. they did a CT scan and an MRI and that's when they found the fracture or two fractures in the hip mm-hmm. as well as the internal bleeding and swelling um, was flown to Perth was in the state trauma unit for I think just over a week maybe two weeks mm-hmm. and um they unsuccessfully, so obviously more imagery, more um, more sort of just to try and diagnose what had happened. So I think the initial prognosis was um, two different hip breaks and a severed urethra. Um, I've been told that it's quite common to sever urethra when you have pelvic injuries. So where was it? severed inside or actually like in your penis or like back where it went inside to your bladder uh, internally off the well, bladder oh I so believe. it had come off the bladder yeah. right um, so you must have been in agony oh it was not fun not fun mm. <laughs> right the pain was that excruciating that they were using a, a bedpan to lift me up like i was physically incapable of rolling from side to side for like the first eight or nine days it was just absolute agony Right. So what did they do? Did you go you must have gone to surgery quickly then to repair that? Uh yeah, so the usual um procedure if anyone's had a urethral injury, they sort of just follow like a stethoscope back up the urethra and try and join it back up that way. Mm-hmm. They unsuccessfully tried to do that, I believe, two, maybe three times. Mm-hmm. Um I'm pretty sure it was three. And um, but they did more imagery in that, and the urologist at the time that I had, very good doctor by the name of Julian Mander, mm-hmm. um, said it was one of the largest separations that they've seen from where the tear was, and like it was a, like a separation of about three or four inches from your urethra back to your bladder. Yeah, uh, yeah, where like this, it was quite a. So what did they do? How did they fix that? Uh so there wasn't much that they could do initially, so they couldn't do any. They couldn't do the operation to repair it straight away uh, because of the swelling and like the hip had to heal itself. So I had a temporary catheter until the hip had healed enough and I was mobile enough. And then July of that year, I went in to have a urethroplasty done. So you had a catheter from February until July? Yeah. Yeah, okay. Yeah. Uh, not fun. No, I can imagine. <laughs> and a lot of my patients have to have a catheter for seven to ten days and they hate it. So I think it must have been awful. And they didn't put a suprapubic one in your belly that was out your penis or was it in um, your belly? I had a suprapubic one. Mm-hmm. Actually, no, I did have a suprapubic mm-hmm. one. I've still got scars on my um, stomach, actually, where you can see where mm-hmm. they had two different spots that they put it. So mm-hmm. it was a suprapubic catheter. And, like, I hate cranberry juice. I absolutely hate cranberry juice. Why? Oh, I just don't like the taste. What I was uh-huh. drinking it like lolly water to keep the infections at bay and just like relieve the pain. Right. It was like just, yeah, not fun having a catheter. No, not at all. And then in the July, they did a urethroplasty, so they fixed it? Uh, yeah, they did fix it, but 
uh, with the urethroplasty, they don't usually like to do a cesarean. They usually go, they do an incision underneath, like the underneath the testicles to mm-hmm. uh, the anus, like just that sort of little patch of skin yep, you got the, there, the perineum there. Yeah, yeah. Yep. Yep. So I'm not. That. That's okay. You don't have to know the names. Yeah. Um, but they ran into some complications. There was actually swelling in my bowels, and when they were trying to do that, they actually nicked my bowels and i had to have a bypass put in so i had a temporary colostomy like a stoma so that was in that july then you had a stoma as well so you had to deal with that as on top of everything else yeah uh so they eventually but because of that they had to repair they had to call in an emergency surgeon to stitch up my bowels create the temporary stoma and then ended up having to go um through my stomach anyway for the initial uh, for for the second phase of the operation to repair everything that to done. Repair. So then, when they gave you the urethroplasty, yeah. did you notice a change in the length of your penis after that? Like, was it retracted or anything, or was it still the same? Uh, so since I had the accident or initial accident, I have not been able to achieve erection without um, using medication. Mm-hmm. As far as penile length go, there was definite constriction after the urethroplasty. Quite a lot of scar tissue build up. And so, how long did you did it take before you discovered? Like, I imagine you're in a lot of pain, and probably erections were the last thing on your mind, even though you were a 17 year old boy. How long <laughs> did it take before you realised? Hey, uh, so they mentioned it as a possibility. Um, they said, like, if you don't achieve an erection, I think it's within two weeks of an accident like that initially happening. Chances are you will be rendered medically impotent. Um, mm-hmm. They did try like different doses of Viagra and um, other bits and pieces, which was not effective. But yeah, obviously my main focus on the time was just recovering from the injury. The um, full scale of the impotency wasn't probably really realised till everything else was, was healed. Sorted. Yeah, yeah. And how long did you have the stoma for? Uh six months. Six months, and I'll be honest with you, ugh, don't really want to know if I want to have another one. Eh? Mm-hmm. It was quite a, quite a harrowing process. And so, how long did it take you then to like get to a point where actually not being able to have an erection was a problem? Because I imagine in the early stages you were just worrying about being pain free and living, and then you would have got to a point where that sort of settled, and then it would have been like, hang on, what's going on here? Ah, uh, yeah. So it was a little bit um kind of confronting because like you know i guess at that point in time you're always clinging on to any sort of bit of hope that you can Mm -hmm. um the thing that i found really interesting was it took me a long time to figure out how to actually self-relieve without having to achieve an erection yeah and um so to have an orgasm without an erection i mean we never imagine and like we talk about it all the time on this podcast about how it's so hard if you've always had an erection to imagine that you can have an orgasm without one. Yeah. So as a 17-year-old, I imagine that would just <laughs> blow your mind. Yeah, well, there was a lot of scratching and pulling and random little bits and pieces, but <laughs> we figured it out eventually. Did somebody tell you that you could so that – or you just – no one ever nah, told you? I figured that one out You myself. had to figure it out for yourself. Yeah. Yeah, yeah it's so sad, isn't it? Yeah. yeah. So you finally figured that out and then you were like, okay, I can have an orgasm, but – and did, did you ejaculate when you had the orgasm? Uh, yeah. 
Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. So that's good. So your fertility isn't affected by all of this? I'm not 100% sure, to be perfectly honest with you. I did have initial tests done. So the, my prostate was also damaged in the um, in the initial essence. From my understanding is I am fertile, but like the semen dies off quick. Okay. That's my understanding. So yeah. I can... I can um I can still like have children and that if I like what I need to do um it'd be like some sort of artificial IVF or something like yeah. that yeah okay that's good news then yeah yeah so you realised you could have an orgasm without that so then you could relieve yourself but then I imagine like how much longer was it before you started thinking how am I going to have a partner one day and pretty soon to be honest pretty soon I mean like when you're seventeen eighteen nineteen well, that's big in your mind. Much your whole identity revolves around how you use your penis, really. I don't think we ever grow out of that, really. No, no, no. we don't. <laughs> <laughs> we don't. But like you know, when you're, especially when you're like at that height of puberty and of like, course. yeah, like, you know, that's where you're just starting to experiment and sort of just like figure yourself out and like feels like a large part of your identity just gets like stripped mm-hmm. away and like your self-worth just absolutely crumbles and that was probably the toughest part for me because it would have been really nerve-wracking to try and date after that oh yeah it i obviously a lot of my coping mechanisms at the time was just like it was like uh put it in a box and like just like extreme suspicion mm. was how i sort of coped with it and like i don't know just finding happiness and other things so i was like i was always i was avoiding the problem that's the only way to put it were you ever offered counselling around your sexual sexuality after this injury? Uh, I probably was. Um, in hindsight, probably definitely something that I should have done. Mm-hmm. Um, I guess I had a very, I wouldn't say blase approach to it, but a very like she'll be right sort of attitude and like wasn't really something that I was comfortable like sort of dwelling on or thinking about or, mm-hmm. um, you know, if I'd, as far as I was concerned, it was out of, out of sight, out of mind was how I sort of approached the problem. And how long did it take you to get back to being able to go out with your friends and back to work and all of those things? Uh, it was probably about a year later before I was moving like semi-okay again. Mm-hmm. Um, I had a pretty pronounced limp and I couldn't, couldn't really walk very well for up to a year later. Uh, I'd say it was probably 18 months after that before I was sort of comfortable with my body and being able to just move, sit, squat, stand, um, you know, just like without sort of like fear of movement or like, you know, just it took a long time for that fear to go on. There's still certain movements I do that like it's just like an inbuilt fear that I have, especially on my left side. And is the pain in your hip or? Um, uh, yes and no. Mostly, most of the issues I have now is more just because my body's adapted to how my body is now. Mm-hmm. And like it's just uh, little things like balance in my left is a little bit average because um, of having not much core strength because of the surgery. I tend to compensate outside of the core when like breathing. I shallow breathe a bit. Mm-hmm. Uh, a, lot of, a lot of stress on my hip flexors and lower back. And obliques, like a lot of other muscles, are doing extra work. Extra work to stabilize. Because would have did it pull all your abdominal, like rip all your abdominal muscles as well? Uh, this, or? Well, it's quite a big scar, actually. So I'll show you. Can you? I'm going to have a look and tell. Yep, it's a big scar. Anyone looking? <laughs> and it looks like there's a Tyrannosaurus Rex on your shoulder eating it. Is that yeah. the idea? Yeah. Something. 
um, but yeah, so I think I don't know if there's any listeners out there that have had like like those female listeners have had cesareans, they'd be able mm. to tell you what their core strength's like after. Yeah, because it's yeah. cut straight through your muscles. Yeah, a lot yeah. of lot of scar tissue and like yeah. Mm. And so. After you had the urethroplasty, how did you go with continence? Could you like wee normally or what happened? Uh, so continence is a struggle for me. Still? Um, so I, I'm not 100% sure how it works, but I believe there's two sphincters in mm-hmm. your bowels and your bladder. Yeah. I know I've actually lost both the sphincter in my bowel and in my bladder. So mm-hmm. when I need to go, like I need to go. Urgency. No, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I'm sure a lot of people could identify with that. Yeah. And then how much longer, so at about that 18 months post-injury mark when you started thinking, well, am I ever going to be able to get an erection again? What can I do about this? Uh, so once things have sort of settled down and my physical health was, I guess, under control, probably the best way to put it, I did have regular just like doctor appointments and um, pretty much come to the conclusion pretty quickly that injections was the only way that I was going to be able to achieve erection. Yeah. And, um, yeah, it, it's very, very confronting. I could imagine. So you would yeah. have only been like 18 then when you had yeah, to, to 18, do that. 18, 19. If I, was, if I wasn't 18, I was not long 19. And during that time, had you had any romance, like any relationships? Um, not really. There was somebody that I was quite keen on who I was friends with for a long time, um, I guess, at that current point in time, especially with a lot of coping mechanisms, I'd be like, so I've probably got myself in situations that I wouldn't do, not as forceful as normally what I would be. Yeah. And like, yeah, definitely started developing um, quite a high fear for rejection, actually. Yeah, I can imagine. And like not being accepted. So, and that even carries on to now, really. It's something that's gotten a lot better. But did you experience that? Did you experience rejection from? Uh, I did. I did. And like, give this person credit she's fucking fantastic i've known her for ages and she's taught me so much about myself and like you know it's not a case of i didn't do anything wrong it was just you know if you can't really help how somebody feels about things no and like you know if i sort of yeah that was a tough one to take that was probably yeah really yeah. really tough and so you went and you learned so who taught you to do the injections uh it was your gp or a specialist or no it was it was uh, Dr. Cherry, I think. Oh, yeah. Dr. Yeah. Cherry, wow. who's now retired. Retired, yeah, yeah. wonderful. He's. I've never met him, but I've heard so many amazing things about him. Yeah, no, he's a very knowledgeable fella. I'm actually a bit, bit disappointing that he's gone from the scene because mm. very big shoes to fill. Very, yeah, I agree. And so he taught you, and you've been using them since? Uh, yeah, for, if I'm being honest with you, I find the injections is like I've never – really managed to find like a good point with the injections so even regularly injecting and like using like a penis pump to stretch and that there's still a base of constriction yeah um i'm sure some of any of your listeners if they've taken viagra it's pretty good for the first 40 minutes not so good after that <laughs> gets yeah. quite sore after a while yeah so is your erections lasting a long time yeah I, it's just how the injections work i think even if i use a very low dosage you're still looking at in minimum an hour well, we might be able to adjust that for you or chat to you about yeah. it after. <laughs> so um, has anyone ever suggested the possibility of getting an implant, like a penile implant? Uh, yeah, I have had that mentioned to me before. Um, when I first sort of heard it, I was just like, 
It was kind of like, what? <laughs> They're amazingly common and like lots of younger guys who have had spinal injuries and things use them and they work. Yeah. They're amazing. They work great. Yeah. It's, um, look, especially given my hesitancy to use the injections, I like almost to the point now where like I would like I'll use them if I'm like going to like if I'm attracted to someone and I'm not mm. going to have sex but like I'm not going to use them to sell for leave I'm not really like if, if i got a reason to I'll like usually like say because I work FIFO mm-hmm. I know that I've got a week before home like I won't use them at all during the first week but in a week leading up to coming home I would like alright cool I'll go like a bi- bi-nightly mm-hmm. injection just to get a little bit of comfort and stretch back yeah good and so have you ever managed to have a relationship or have you felt awkward about that? Um, not really, no. Nah. Um, awkward and just very like, I guess, like I felt like my self-worth hasn't really been there. It's probably only really been like last two or three years where I've actually come into my own and started to accept who I am. Mm-hmm. But then because of all this previous history that I've had, I've got a lot of stuff that I've been unpacking and yeah. like I've been seeing a counsellor to sort of help with it and like I think I'd definitely in a place where I could be ready for somebody but I'm also pretty happy just working on myself and but it's such a like pivotal time in a person's life where at that 17 year old age you're just trying to decide figure out who you are and what your sexuality is even and yeah. then you've had this massive thing to deal with so you're probably really like 10 years behind most of your friends i'd say so quite quite easily and um even i i can't explain it or like whatever but i think especially when it comes to like sexual attraction obviously it's a large part of attraction but like in a Mm. more flirtatious nature that sort of like that sort of give and go you got with somebody for men in particular a lot of it does come down when they get those large dumps of testosterone and like mm. the little man sinking other things and like i think there's just times where like you, you sort of want it but like you know like i can switch off i can be like it can be completely unfazed by it um so like it's i've almost got to like train my brain to think into the moment yeah because like, you've trained it probably when things when you didn't have a solution you just trained it to that not to think about yeah, relationships yeah. and love and all of those things yeah a lot mm. less uh hot-blooded than what I was before. <laughs> I can say that quite comfortably. So when you do have sex after you've had an injection, does it feel good? Like, did you, like does it still feel good or? Um, painful, to be perfectly honest. Um, so is your erection actually painful? Like, yeah. yeah. It's like a good seven, eight out of ten. We need to change your mixture because yeah. <laughs> it doesn't need to be like that. We're going to have a chat after this and <laughs> we're going to sort that out because it, there's a, there is one ingredient that can cause pain but there's others available now that don't. So perhaps you haven't tried I have them. had the, um, where they put the, and it, the, the numbing agent yeah. in it. The numbing agent is. Doesn't work. Doesn't work. No, it doesn't for a lot of people, but there's a completely different mixture we could try. Yeah. So we're going to try it. Well, I'll <laughs> tell you what it is anyway, and you can see what you think. Yeah. So, yeah. So like, it's really tricky. So what happens? I suppose you've not really been one of those young men that goes out and picks up, hey, because you've got to think about everything in such detail. Uh, yeah, it's, I think, yeah, not really, no. It, it, like, it does happen and, like, talk to most people that know me. They usually usually have pretty nice things to say if they're not <laughs> been shitheads. Um, and, like, there is moments where, like, I 
can do all right for myself. Like, mm. know, I don't think I'm that bad. But. No, no, <laughs> not at all. For anyone, anyone listening, he's a very attractive young man. There's no reason why he wouldn't pick up other than not trying. Mm, pretty much. <laughs> he's blushing now. <laughs> uh, good thing you can hear my voice and not see my face. <laughs> So I know because the way I found out about you was that I met a friend of yours in a sauna in an ice bath and he yeah. was telling me about his amazing friend who's done this. So I think it sounds like a lot of your friends are really like admire you for how resilient you've been through this. Yeah. And I think, you know, it's one thing I sort of, it's obviously you can't ignore things and like, you know, trauma is a response to something, whether if it's emotional or physical. So you'd be doing yourself a disservice if you don't listen to the signs and symptoms of what your body or what your emotions are trying to tell you but then i don't know i've never really been one to like cry wolf or sit around and mope like i'd rather be proactive with my time and try and make something good of it like you know i've learned a lot about myself um you know i've, I've developed some amazing friendships with girls without having like because you don't get all that other stuff in nah, the way. No, no, no. So, yeah. And, um, yeah, like I think, you know, there's a big, big problem, especially I think in society with just how people treat each other, whether if it's like inappropriate behaviours or what they say or what they do. And, yeah, I think, you know, it's taught me a lot. Well, like you've probably to, had a lot more time to actually think about these things without worrying about what your penis is doing all the yeah, time. Yeah, pretty much, pretty <laughs> much. Yeah. Yeah, that's interesting, isn't it? Because I think when we're young, you know, our sexuality so gets in the way of all these other things. Oh, and yeah. if you take that out of the equation, you've probably really developed a lot in your other aspects of your personality. Yeah, like I think just like emotional intelligence and just sort of critical thinking and mm -hmm. like how to assess different situations without being too judgmental or, you know, like assessing things on their merits. And what about work? So, what are you, are you back at work now? Uh, yeah, so I'll go back to work tomorrow, actually. So, Because mm -hmm. you work FIFO now? Yeah, yeah. Been doing FIFO for about three years. Thanks, Minros, for the 5am <laughs> flights. Love it. What sort of work do you do on the mines? Uh, so, I do uh, drilling. So, I weird. I like being intellectually stimulated, but I'm also perfectly happy just doing things. Yeah. Like, I, I'm very, very male. Like, I like my routine. I like... I like, I like a job to do and just like just like a consistent yeah thing so uh, i work for uh and and the drill and blast yeah uh, okay drilling. and have you done that ever since you went back to work or um no so after the accident and when i sort of discovered i wasn't 100 percent sure what i wanted to do the only thing that really i found that inspired me was um rehabilitation mm -hmm. so like you know i wanted to give back to people what like you know it was all this amazing help that i had to or even just be alive really yeah from like yeah. physios to counselors hospital staff you know like i wouldn't be here without the health system and what it's done for me and um yeah so i attempted a couple of times to go to uni so i think i lasted 12 months one time and then two and a bit years <laughs> the other um i preferred a very hand-on approach so i did a lot of training actually like a lot of coaching okay pt specialist um like exercise physiotherapy yep. sort of base work um 
and sort of just before I started working FIFO, I was in the midst of completing a remedial massage diploma because oh, cool. I wanted a treatment component to um, just like my exercise knowledge that yeah. I had. But and you'll have a lot of like kind of hands-on experience from your own experience that other people wouldn't. So it'd be great for you to offer that. I mean, just the fact you're telling your story now is giving people, is helping other people. Yeah, and I think... You know, if you can help one person, then it's sort of worthwhile. But yeah, it was like, I guess I sort of finished my um, diploma and that's sort of like when COVID was kicking mm-hmm. off and yeah, I thought I needed a bit of a change and that's when I started working FIFO and to be honest, I found I quite enjoyed it mm-hmm. and like I wouldn't have picked it for me what I would have done four or five years ago, but yep. yeah, I enjoy the work I do. Um work with some really fantastic people i think it also gives me the tools to like the financial freedom and also like the time to dedicate towards things i do to myself instead of neglecting it a lot yeah so like you know i can afford to like you know get regular treatment or go on holidays or like you know see a counselor and stuff like that mm-hmm. i think just having having the tools to be able to address my health a bit more has been quite beneficial yeah definitely because you probably do like a six on roster or something like that do you uh it's two and one at the minute mm-hmm. um but i'd say the way the industry is going it's going to be even time and that'll allow more time and then i think when i do eventually move to even time i'll definitely open up my own clinic and Great. get back into it Fantastic. I don't, don't think i'd be a full-time operative but i definitely mm-hmm. have i ideas for the future well you'll have to tell us when you do and we'll interview you again talk about (laughs) what you're going to do for other people so what about romance now then like you said sort of hinted before that you might be ready to to try now like do you feel like you've done enough work on yourself that you i definitely think i've done enough work um finally at a position where i feel like that i can give love back without like withholding myself or Mm -hmm. out of fear of projection reprisal um but also on the flip side of that is because i'm actually finally enjoying what i'm doing and like really content with myself like i guess it's also made me a little bit picky as well yeah well that's good (laughs) (laughs) so like you know if if the right person comes along definitely i will Mm -hmm. dedicate time towards them but yeah it's just even just meeting people can be yeah challenging (laughs) so i mean do you have any, like, apart from the erectile dysfunction, the impotence, do you have any other, like, long-term issues, like health issues that you have to deal with? Or the, is everything else kind of resolved now? The impotence is the main thing, and I hazard a guess that the prostate is probably going to be an issue. Down the track. Down the track. And the urgency that you've still got, I suppose, yeah. is an issue. And, like, also with the, the continence issue as well. Mm-hmm. Um, it can be resolved with self-dilatation, but not a fan. Yeah, fair <laughs> enough. Yeah. Thank you so much for your time. Like, it's just been great. And I'm definitely keen to chat to you when we're not recording about what sort of injection you're having because I reckon we might be able to fix that pain that you're having because you shouldn't be oh, having that. If you could that. fix that, that would be probably the best news I've heard in about <laughs> 10 years, I think. <laughs> All right. Well, thanks again. I really appreciate your time and it's been wonderful for you to share your story. Thank you for having me. And thank you, Ash, for that sauna visit. (laughs) (laughs) All righty. Thanks. See you. I hope you enjoyed today's episode. As a thank you for being a part of our podcast community, I have an exclusive subscriber offer for you. If you would like assistance with your sexual health and you'd like to work with me, then please head over to www. 
melissahadleybarrett.com forward slash programs and use the code TPP5 at the checkout. Here you will find everything you need to know to be on the path to penile perfection. Thank you for listening to today's episode of The Penis Project. If you're enjoying this podcast, I would love it if you could leave a review and subscribe for regular updates. Your support plays a big role in spreading awareness and helping more men to access this information. The more followers we have, the more podcast platforms that recommend our show to others. This might be just the place where your friend, brother, neighbour with lingering questions finally discovers the answers. Stay connected with me on social media and join the Melissa Hadley Barrett email list for news about upcoming podcast episodes, blogs and lots more. If you have a personal story that you'd like to share or you're a health professional working in this field, I would love to hear from you. If you'd like to be a guest on the podcast or a listener with specific topics you'd like us to cover, please send me an email at admin at melissahadleybarrett.com. Thanks again for being a part of the Penis Project podcast community. And until next time, take care.